What in the world does that have to do with Joshua chapter 4? It has everything to do with Joshua chapter 4. So just a little Ringo star to get you started this morning. When you saw that very short slideshow, what are some of the things you thought of? Because photos often evoke memories, don't they? Come on, come at me. What are some of the things you thought of? Meeting Dave and Rosie at 5 o'clock in the morning at the Irving. And what year was that? that was 1997. 1997. There's a memory. All right? People and it, with certain goatees. People with certain goatees. <laughs> they shall go nameless. And there are reasons why for a long time that hasn't happened. Anybody else? Any? The coffee with Stephanie. How many, when you saw Stephanie's pictures, like, you feel sad, don't you? Yeah. Right? Anybody else? Come on. Don't have all day here. Any? Retro Boogie Dance Party. <laughs> Title Impact. Building. The building, right? So we have all kinds of memories, and memories are evoked when we see photographs, right? And we like to remember the stuff from our past, and... This morning, you know, we just have to, we just have to, I'm going to move this down because it's a, the sun, the sun is in my eyes. We used to, we used to uh, cart around Aram's kids in our vehicle and Carly would sit in the back seat and we'd drive across the Westmoreland Bridge and the sun would be directly in her eyes and she'd be in the back seat. She goes, my eyes! And I said, just close your eyes. <laughs> <coughs> But photos evoke emotions, don't they? And they evoke responses. And our culture today and yesterday, so I'm of the vintage that I remember that we used to look at photo albums. How many still use photo albums? Not very many people. Some do. But photo albums are basically something that we don't uh, have a lot of um, call for anymore, right? We have maybe an Apple photo book or wherever we get our photo books, but most of it's online. What about Facebook memories, right? Just this past week, how many of you put your hand up, had Facebook remind you of memories? Yeah, look at them all, right? If you use Facebook, right, you'll see, they'll you say, whoa, where's that? Where's, I'm not sharing that one, right? So <laughs> there'd be memory pictures that would come up, and you'd say, man, like, like how, does, how do all those algorithms work anyway to get those pictures where they are? And so... We have them. There's commemorative memories that are revoked, right? So we live in a culture that's bound up with thinking about historical events. So if I were to ask you, name me two significant historical events that have happened within the last 25 years, I know one of them has got to be what? 9-11. See? 9-11. How many of you were alive and kicking when 9-11? You remember 9-11? So a lot of us, right? Most of us would remember 9-11. You know where you were when 9-11 took place, right? I know exactly where I was when I was sitting down actually watching live the second plane going into the World Trade Center. I like, say, this is happening. So you're right. Another one. Another historical event last 20, 25 years. The death of Lady Di, right? Some of you, and I detected a British accent there, I think. For some of you, 
who are of British extraction. And maybe if you're a bit of a royalist over here, you may have thought about, you know, Lady Di. Significant event. You remember where you were when, right? Now, you're, you may find this hard to believe. I was a bit of a geek when I was a kid. So um, I, started to, I started to read the newspaper when I was six years old. And I was an early, early reader. And I, wait, the newspaper was too big for me to hold. I laid it on the floor, and I would turn the big pages over. And I was really into, the, into reading the newspaper. But I recall very vividly an event, and I, I couldn't even really put words to it, but I was four years old when JFK was shot. And my mother was watching the television when um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was shot in the parking garage by Jack Ruby. I'm going way back here, 1963, right? So I was four years old. And, but I remember, I remember something happened, like there was an interruption in the force. I remember there was something that happened, and I remember that being explained to me, that's what it was. And when I was four, five, six years old, I still remember that. You remember where you were. There's sporting events. I mean, just this past week was the 10th anniversary of a great event that took place, and I remember we all gathered by our TVs with our PVRs 10 years ago after church, and we watched what? Yes, it was the Olympics, but what was it? I mean, come on, hockey fans, Cyril. Sidney Crosby, right? Oh, dear. Yeah. Sidney Crosby. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, it, it was as plain as day, and when they replayed it, like, you, you remember, I mean, Sidney Crosby calling for the puck from Jerome McGinley. He's like, Iggy! And he hit, he scored the goal. It's like, whoa! Ten, like, that's 10 years ago. Hard to believe, right? So we have these memories of sporting events. I mean, if you have a really good memory, it's been such a long time, like 1967, before color TV was even invented. Or actually, it was invented, but it was not in use here for sure. I mean, you're going back way back. Toronto Maple Leafs actually did win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> in 1967. I remember that, and Bobby Bond actually played that game with a broken leg. They could use someone with a broken leg today. <laughs> and how many of us, though, have personal, difficult memories? You have difficult memories. And some of us have had difficult memories. There's memories that you care not to actually think about. There's memories that are revoked in your, in, your, in your mind, and you're like, I don't even want to go there. It's too painful. Memories of perhaps losing people, or memories of things happening to you, or memories of things that you did. And those things are just something that you just don't want to dredge up. But memories and remembering are significant things. And whatever the case, I think we're hardwired to look back. I think we're hardwired to actually go back and to take a look at um, our past. We're, we're hardwired to reflect. We're hardwired to do those things. And my question is, could it be that God has actually put that desire for remembering in our hearts? I mean, that, isn't that 
part of what we do almost every day. We, we think about things that have happened in the past. It's like we're, we remember those things and how they've impacted our lives. We have this desire to look back. And maybe it's, maybe it's part of a desire for us to find meaning. And maybe, you know, we look back and we're trying to make sense of the things that we've done. And maybe we think back to a time in our lives where perhaps, just maybe, you know what? Things were a lot better in my life a number of years ago. And maybe that's because, you know what? At that time, I, 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 was, I did have my life snapped to attention to Jesus and I was in love with Jesus. And for whatever reason today, that's not the case. And you say, you know what, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to go there. Perhaps it's intended for us to reflect and remember with this more eternal view of what it means to be human. See, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 has this really key verse, and I remember this verse was was, was uh, the first time I heard it, I was a Christian for maybe six months, and there was a guy named Don Richardson who was speaking in, in um, St. John, and I, he's long since gone to be with Jesus. But he was this missionary that went to the far-flung reaches of the world, of the planet, and he was all over the place. And he wrote a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. And he made this, he, he made this case in this book of after, after having gone to all these very remote regions in the world that there was there was something in that was common to every culture that he visited where there was there was something in people's hearts that 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 was eternal that they had this somehow this this memory uh, culturally in their hearts of 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 relating to god that there was something in this in cultural settings where there was there was something that said oh there's, there's a remembrance culturally of a time when or something that he can make a connection to God through the culture. And the scripture says that God has put eternity in our hearts. So the name of the book was the scripture. It's an easy one to remember. But God has put eternity in your heart. He's put this thing in your heart. And some, some have said, you know, that, that it's like God has put this space in your heart this this puzzle piece for all of you who do puzzles you have this puzzle space that's in your heart and the only thing that fits in there is is god himself that he has this he's put in this there was a song by i'm going to date myself now by this band i, I think they're i think it was the newsboys but the, you know was, they had or maybe it was this other band it was called god-shaped hole I, so who, who would know that i don't know it doesn't matter but there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. We have this God-shaped hole, and part of it has to do with us remembering and recalling and having to deal with our past and having to deal with the things of who we are. Perhaps there's even more at play here that might be apparent with respect to memory. And today we want to take a look at Joshua chapter 4, and I'm going to ask the guys to put it on the screen but we're going to take a look at Joshua chapter 4 and talk about the importance of what it means to remember. And before we get started here this morning, I, I just want to drop this in. That towards the end, I want to make some space for some of you this morning. God is going to cause to bring to remembrance some things of what he's done. 
and I want you to be ready to share those things. I'm not asking for 20 minutes. I'm asking for like a 30-second to one-minute soundbite of something. So as we go through this, I want you to think about that. Are we good? Okay. So let's take a look at Joshua chapter 4. I'm reading out of the message this morning. And just before we start to read, I'm going to read, it's not on the screen, but I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 3. And so if you were here a couple weeks ago, Joe spoke about uh, chapter 3, about the people going and fording the river, and they had, remember he talked about them looking at the obstacle? And uh, it says in uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 17, the last verse, it says, And there they stood, those priests carrying the chest of the covenant, stood firmly planted on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground. Finally, the whole nation was across the Jordan, and not one wet foot. And when the whole nation was finally across, God spoke to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, a man from each tribe, and tell them, From right here, the middle of the Jordan, where the feet of the priests are standing firm, take twelve stones, carry them across with you, and set them, set them down in the place where you camp tonight. What a scene. They had just crossed over, and they crossed on dry ground. And this chest of the covenant that the priests carried, this, this chest in the covenant of the covenant was brought by the priests, and as the chest of the covenant came to the river, Jordan at flood stage, so we're talking high water. We're talking like, like think about St. John River in April, how high the water is. It's like these priests carried this chest of the covenant, which was emblematic and actually did contain, not figuratively, but literally, the very presence of God. It's like people talk about, well, you don't put God in a box. Well, actually, kind of God was in a box. Right? And so they, they take this chest, and as the priest set his foot into the river, and as they stepped the next foot and the next step and the next step, this chest was in the middle of the river, and this river at flood stage parted, and the waters, the waters to one side were a wall, and the waters to the other side were a wall. But the interesting thing about this, and it says at the end of verse, uh, at the end of chapter 3, verse 17, it says that they crossed on dry ground. Can you imagine over, and there's over a million people here. Like seriously, like there's over a million people. It's like the population of Toronto is crossing, the, crossing this Jordan River, and they crossed on dry ground. Wouldn't you think that, I mean, as the waters were held back as they went across, wouldn't you think that a million people, it'd be kind of muddy? It was dry. It was like sand crossing, like, again, highlighting the miraculous aspect of what it means to cross that river. That it was dried up for them, and they crossed over. In the middle of the river, by virtue of God's presence, this great obstacle was forded, and they were on dry ground. They weren't bogged down at all. They, they, they crossed over, and as they got across, Joshua was commanded by God. God spoke to Joshua and said, select 12 men from each. Well, there's 12 tribes. Don't have time to go into all that, but there's 12 tribes, and each of those tribes represent the people of God. He says, God said, take one representative from each tribe and gather for yourselves from the middle of this river 
of this bed, this riverbed, take 12 stones, one for each tribe, and carry them across to the other side. And place them down in the place where you camp tonight. So Joshua called out the 12 men whom he selected from the people of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua directed them, cross to the middle of the Jordan and take your place in front of the chest of God, your God. Each of you heft a stone to your shoulder. It's like, you think about this. It says in the scriptures that the people crossed the river in what? In haste. They weren't, they weren't dawdling. They, they were like, let's get ourselves across this thing. Let's, let, like, the, the waters could come down upon us at any time. And bear in mind, they've already had the experience 40 years ago as a culture, as a people, none of whom are there today at this point because the disobedient generation that didn't go in 38 years prior, they missed it. But they had the memory and they knew because they remembered that when the Red Sea was parted, they didn't have time to dawdle. And so they crossed the, they crossed the Jordan. And Joshua said, hey, uh, guys, I want you, you 12, go back into the river. Go back into the riverbed where the presence of God still is and pick up these stones. It says, each of you heft a stone to your shoulder. We're not talking like pebbles. My assumption would be, knowing that Joshua, Joshua knew that he had to do this, he would have picked some strapping guys. He would have, he, he would have picked some, some big dudes. He really would have. They would have had broad shoulders, right? It's like, I, I notice your shoulders. I, I don't know who you are. You're sitting next to uh, uh, Sue. What's your name? Yeah, you've got big shoulders, man. Like you'd be one of those guys that, you know what? Uh, you, you, would, you would be able to handle a hefty stone. You'd handle a, a lot heftier stone than Keith. <laughs> now, I think Keith could handle it, but I'm just saying, no offense, Keith, I think, Nick, I think Nick's got you by a few pounds on that one, okay? But he would take some guys like Nick, big dudes, and he would bring them into the middle of the river, and they had to heft a stone. And when you say even the word heft, it's not like you're going to pick up a stone and put it on. No, you're going to heft that sucker, and you're going to put that thing on your shoulder. And uh, you, you know these strongman competitions with that big ball, and they got to lift it up and put it. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of hefting this big stone to their shoulders and not being able to haste with it because it's so heavy, and you're going to bring that thing over across the river and come out of the riverbed, and you're going to drop it where you're staying that night. Bear in mind, they didn't stay that night on the banks of the river. They had to hike in miles past there, and they had to bring that thing. So we're talking guys that could handle it. And they brought that stone, and they set that stone down, and they built this cairn. They set, so by design, they didn't just lay them on the ground. They, they, they built a cairn. They built this, this tower. All kids, all little kids love to build what? Towers. When my kids were little, all they wanted to do half the time was build a tower. Jack, what he wants to do now? Build a tower. Borden wants to build a tower. Audrey wants to build a tower. They all want, what is this thing with towers? Towers, sidebar, towers and lava. I mean, kids always are obsessed with lava. Oh, you're going to step on the lava. It's like, where do they get this? 
So heft a stone to your shoulder, a stone for each of the tribes of the people of Israel, so you'll have something later to mark the occasion. Remember. And when your children ask you, what are these stones to you? You'll say, the flow of the Jordan was stopped in front of the chest of the covenant of God as it crossed the Jordan, stopped in its tracks. The stones are a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. These stones of remembrance. In the future, you say, well, why would they do that? Because in the future, it was to remind them, their families, and their people of all that God has done. Because God knows, and Joshua and Caleb know, and the people know, they're going into this promised land. They're going into this land of their inheritance. They've been delivered from the Egyptians. Now they're going, there's no... There's no obstacle here such as an enemy when they cross. The obstacle is this river that is allowing them to go into this promised land. And they know, they know, God knows that they need something to look back on. And they need to be reminded of what God has done. What is God reminding you of this morning, of what he's done? Maybe God is bringing up something in your memory. You know what, I need to remember that sucker. I didn't remember that. Maybe God's bringing up a memory. It's for a purpose. The ultimate reason and purpose of memory, remembering is to encourage us and spur us on. In this case, it's causing them to be thankful, grateful, expectant, and dependent. That is, to be humble. Because when you're dependent on God, that is basically the definition of humility. You're humble before God himself. And so it's to remind the people of the great power available to the people who believe that God delivers and God provides inheritance. We read on. The people of Israel did exactly, they did exactly, exactly as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, a stone for each of the 12 tribes, just as God had instructed Joshua, carried them across with them to the camp. You know, I just thought of it. I should have had a great big stone here today because then I'd get Nick down here and he could carry it across four or five. And as I'm speaking, he'd just keep carrying it because that's a long... Anyway. Picking on you, Nick. You can get back at me later. They carried them across with them to the camp and they set them down there. And Joshua set up the 12 stones taken from the middle of the Jordan that had marked the place where the priests who carried the chest of the covenant had stood. They're still there today. How are these stones still there today? We're going to answer that question. See, in those days, those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes, the people of promise, the ones who inherited life and eternity and the reliance on the presence of God to bring them through every circumstance. That was how they were there then. It's not that much different today. Verse 10, the priests carrying the chest continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything God had instructed Joshua to tell the people to do was done. It was finished. When it was finished, this is important, folks, when it was finished, what did the, what did the priests do with the covenant? They left the river when it was finished, when it was done, confirming what Moses had instructed Joshua. The people crossed, 
No one dawdled. And when the crossing of all the people was complete, they watched as the chest of the covenant and the priest crossed over. Once everybody was across, then it is finished and they move. The presence of God was in the middle of the river until it was done, until it was finished. Then the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had crossed over in battle formation in front of the people of Israel, obedient to Moses' instructions. All told, about 40,000 armed soldiers crossed over before God to the plains of Jericho, ready for battle. So there's this army of about 40,000. I'm not going to get into all this, but that army of 40,000 of two and a half tribes that decided to take their inheritance before the Jordan, say, you know what, we're going to leave our families and so on there, but we're going to go ahead of the people of God and we're getting ready. That's what that's talking about. Verse 14, God made Joshua great that day in the sight of all of Israel. They were in awe of him just as they had been in awe of Moses all his life. So here we are. The mantle of leadership is confirmed here. The people of the, uh, the children of Israel are like, okay, we followed Moses. Now we're Joshua, we're following you now. And God told Joshua, command the priest carrying the chest of the testimony to come up from the Jordan and Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. They did it. The priest carrying God's chest of the covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan. As soon as the soles of the priest's feet touched dry land, the Jordan's waters resumed their flow within the banks just as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. That's an important statement. You say, what? The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Forty years prior, they were delivered from Egypt. And what was the culminating event that signaled the start of the actual exodus? The Passover. And the tenth day of the first month, that is significant because that is the date of the selection of the sacrificial lamb. That's what that is. So they're, they're about to commemorate Passover, but the 10th day of the fourth month is the day that the Paschal lamb is selected. Pure, without blemish. That's the date. They set up camp at Gilgal, at the east of Jericho, and Joshua erected a monument at the Gilgal using the 12 stones that had been broke, taken from the Jordan. See, they took a, that thing a long way. And when the people... And when he told the people of Israel in the days to come, when your children asked their fathers, what are these stones doing here? Tell your children this, that Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry ground. Yes, God, your God dried up the Jordan's waters for you until you crossed, just as God, your God, did at the Red Sea, which had dried up before us until we had crossed. That was so that everybody on earth would recognize how strong God's rescuing hand is and so that you would hold God in solemn reverence always. So the Israelites erected this rock cairn, emblematic of his presence, saw them cross over, helped them win many victories. It was there to remind them of all that he had done. He was being obedient to the command of God to remember that this just didn't start with Joshua. As I said earlier, they followed Moses, and Moses in Deuteronomy appeals for his leaders to teach their children, to observe and proclaim their faith, to observe the Sabbath, give thanks for their blessings, confess their sins, celebrate the Passover, act with justice and compassion. 
towards everybody, not just their own, but to immigrants and orphans and the poor. In fact, this remembering is so important that if you were to look up the word remember in your Bible, just in the Old Testament, the word remember is repeated over 180 times. I don't have time this morning to go through them, but it's like, remember the Lord your God. Remember, it's in the Psalms, they're riddled with remembrance. All through the Old Testament, word, the word is remember. In the New Testament, much shorter in its scope in terms of the number of pages, right? But not in the weight of what are on those pages. But in the New Testament, the word remember is, is cited at least 50 times, depending on what version of Scripture you're using. So there's 50 in the New Testament. Equally important... If you're looking in the Old Testament, there's another word that's really interesting that's repeated almost 60 times, and that word is forget. The warning to forget. Like, don't forget. It's like 60 times. So remember and forget. Three times as many, but nevertheless important to show that it is a significant thing to remember what God has done, to remember his goodness, his faithfulness, his power. It was everything as it reminded the children of Israel of who they were and whose they were. The instructions were really plain. Remember not to forget. Don't forget to remember. Remember to remember. I'll repeat it. It's like These are the instructions all through the Old Testament. Remember not to forget. Don't forget to remember. Remember to remember. Ultimately, they were to remember the Lord, their God. But those three things, very important. But knowing their history, what do we understand? That despite these reminders, they continued in their lapses into unfaithfulness and waywardness, didn't they? I mean, the whole book of Judges, just read it. Faithful to God, faithful to God, not faithful to God. God brings a judge. They're under the oppression of, uh, of, of an evil king. The judge comes, rescues the people. Oh, thank you, God. And the next thing you know, what do they do? They lapse back into sin and unfaithfulness. And the cycle continues. The Old Testament lays the groundwork, though, for a more permanent solution. It's like all through the Old Testament, it's like, oh, God, win. When are you going to bring us that perfect deliverer who's going to cause us to not be wayward? Perfect solution for sin, a more fixed expression of God's presence. The Old Testament's filled with hundreds of prophetic promises holding hope for a permanent sacrificial leader who would lead his people in freedom. This is what biblical remembering looks like. Actively, earnestly, deliberately reflecting on God and thinking carefully about what he's done what he said, and what he will do about bringing this Redeemer. Rehearsing, recalling, and relishing his story and our role in it. What's our role in it? Thanking him, praising him for rescuing us and for giving us gifts and opportunities we've had for success and service, acknowledging who we are and whose we are. That was the task. And he failed repeatedly but there's always this thread that says, 
Like, if they could express it, they couldn't. Come, Lord Jesus. We need, the, we need a Savior. The whole Old Testament calls out for this Savior. Remembering is deliberate attention. We're hardwired to do it. But in addition, forgetting doesn't take special effort, does it? It just happens. It's our gravitational pull. And I would even argue it's an operation of our flesh. So here we are. How many know that you struggle with forgetting things? I mean, if it's not just your car keys, like I do all the time. But we forget the goodness, the faithfulness, and the provision of God too, don't we? If we're not careful. Indeed, even to forget God himself. If we don't attend to God's words and works, we lose our delight in them, we lose our way, we lose perspective, we forget who we are and whose we are. So if we go back to our reading from today, we can see that the story is a typical story pointing the way forward to Jesus and Jesus himself and the promise of his presence. So this story of God's presence being in the middle of the river typifies what's going to happen. So we see these foreshadowings in the Old Testament all the time. But this box that is in the middle of the river is a type of Christ. Like this is, this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. We recall from Joe a couple weeks ago, the Jordan was an obstacle, a river unable to be crossed until the presence of God himself in a box comes and is carried into its midst and the Jordan's forded by the people. So you think about that. This fast, this tremendous obstacle. But fast forward to Matthew's gospel account where in the midst of this same river Jordan, in the midst of the same river, John the Baptist is declaring the coming Jesus, declaring the need for repentance from sin and the turning from sin and judgment. He's standing in this river. I think understanding that this, is a, this Jordan River is emblematic of a gulf that we can't cross. And lo and behold, who steps into the scene? Jesus. Jesus steps into the scene, doesn't he? This people who are desperate for a Savior, they're acknowledging their sin and they're repenting and they're being baptized by John the Baptist. Baptized to repentance. Next thing you know, I mean, they know they need a Savior. The next thing you know, Jesus steps into the scene. Jesus, the God-man, he stood there and he was baptized by John the Baptist but as he's baptized by John the Baptist, what happens? The heavens open, a voice from heaven, and a dove, a Holy Spirit, baptizes Jesus. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God isn't in a box anymore. God is in the middle of the river by virtue of Jesus the Holy Spirit baptizes him for power and his ministry begins. Right? Isn't that amazing? The connection between the two. Jesus is there. Holy Spirit and power declared by the Father to be one whom he loved. He gave himself for us, the Bible calls. He gave himself, here he is, this 
Savior in the middle of this Jordan, symbolic of this river we can't cross. And as he stands there, it's as if the Jordan parts, and he's standing there, and all of heaven is proclaiming that he is the Son of God, that he is the one who has God's favor. And all of a sudden, we're able to ford the river, not because of what happened that day, but because of what happened later. Matthew 26 says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' words. We celebrate what? This memorial of what? Remembrance. We celebrate that every time we take the cup and the bread. And we remember what he's done for us. You see, Jesus entered the river of judgment for us, stayed on the cross until he said what? It is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. So Jesus, defeating death, defeating judgment, fulfilling the Father's promise, he leaves the river. He's, it is done. It is finished. It's not the end of the story, though. He what? Three days later, rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. So the rock cairn, the rock of remembrance is removed from the river, removed from judgment, removed from death, and it's carried over into the other side. And we, folks, have the great opportunity to remember that. His Holy Spirit is given to us. We have help in remembering. Remember I said how the Israelites had such a hard time remembering? They had such a hard time remembering because we have a bit of a leg up on them. Actually, a lot of a leg up on them. We have the Holy Spirit living within us 24-7 who can help us to remember the very things that the Israelites fell into this bad cycle all the time. We have the ability through the Holy Spirit to remember the goodness of God, just like we're remembering right now, just as we remembered this morning, just as I told you that story. I remembered that situation in Jordan all those years ago. I remember that. The Holy Spirit brings to our mind the things of remembrance. He helps us to go back. He helps us to understand, oh, I am thankful because of what Jesus has done for me. And he's given me the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know, we've said it many times, I've said it many times, I've preached it many times, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? So it's like, God dwells within me. He dwells within you. He dwells within his people. And he causes us to remember his goodness every time we sing in worship. Every time we wake up in the morning, we say, God, I'm giving you this day and I'm worshiping you this morning. He reminds us of his goodness. He reminds us to be thankful. He reminds us of how good and faithful he is to us. He also reminds us when we blow it. But he doesn't come with condemnation. He comes and he says, you know what? You might have blown it. He says, I love you. I care about you. The father looks at us and he sees nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood covers our sin. Jesus took upon himself our shame, our sin, 
all the grossness of our life. He took it upon himself. And in exchange, I mean, the Bible says that we get the great exchange, right? That we receive grace and mercy and peace and joy and love and Holy Spirit. His very spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you my spirit. My very spirit is what I'm leaving you. It's actually who I'm leaving you. And my spirit is coming to you. I want to say this morning that I believe we're on the verge of a deeper awareness uh, as a church of the abiding, abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and his power. That God in his power through the Holy Spirit by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross, he wants to bring to mind to us this yearning for what he's done in the past. Say, God, you've done this in the past. We want you to do it today. We, like, we look back, we sing these songs, and God, we need you. He promised to send his spirit to us. He enables us to be reminded of God's faithfulness and his mercy. Now, people are going to laugh, some of you, when I quote this scripture, because I'm quoting it out of the Amplified Bible. And somehow, I'm not sure why, but the Amplified Bible gets a bad rap sometimes. But I read this verse in the Amplified Bible, and it kind of just encapsulates it. Because if you were trying to memorize the Amplified Bible, good luck. Right? Those of you who know what I'm talking about, good luck. It's kind of. But this is what it says in John 14, 6 about the Holy Spirit. But this is what the Holy Spirit, wh- how he does things in the Amplified. It says, but the Comforter, and in brackets, just so in case you're not sure what Comforter means, But in brackets, but the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, bracket, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, bracket. This is pretty good though, isn't it? Right? He will teach you what? All things. Talking about remembering. He will cause you to Recall, bracket, will remind you of, bring to your remembrance, close bracket, everything I have told you. See, we have the Spirit. And He reminds us and causes us to remember His goodness. Is it good? Yeah? He's good, He's faithful. The Holy Spirit helps us to reflect on how far we've come. Causes us to remember his goodness, to recognize his grace, and to receive his discipline. He does those things. That's how good he is. That we can remember. So we don't need a rock cairn because the rock of remembrance is in our heart. It's Jesus. He's given us his spirit. So Maybe we do need to take pause and I was at prayer last Sunday, Sunday night and, and it's like we prayed for one another, we prayed for a whole bunch of things and, and the thing that I, I, I was like, the thing over and over again was just like, be still and wait. Be still and wait. And I was like, yep, that's good. I'll take that. So, here's how we'll close. Where's the microphone? We can come to you. 
How, is there anybody here who would like to give a 30-second to one-minute soundbite remembering God's goodness for us to... Come on. Come on down. You know what? If you have something and you're able to move, come. It, really, because we, we want to be efficient. And if we have to come to you, put your hand up, and we'll do that too. Okay? Go ahead. So one of the, those prayers last Sunday, <coughs> they prayed for me. And I saw a it's on. A great difference between three weeks ago and this last week. So as I woke woke up yesterday, I was like, "Oh, I feel completely different." And all these things that had happened, I don't feel them anymore. And I stepped down into my bed from my bed, and I was like, "Well, I pray for this house, and now we're living in it. Like, how amazing, God!" And we were. Um, as we were worshiping this morning, I was like, I know I'm not there yet. I, I know there's still a lot. But if I remember where I was, if I, if I see all the things that I've accomplished and that God has taken me through and have healed, like, it's, I feel like. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the river. Very good. Anybody else? I'm going to, there's a couple of people I want to pick on, but come on. They don't even know I'm going to do this. Um, this time last year, we were just about to put our house on the market. Um, we were in debt. First of all, a few months before that, God gave us people who loaned us a lot of money to tide us over, interest-free loan. It was amazing. <coughs> but then God sold our house really quickly, and we were able to pay off all our debt. And now we live in a house which we use so much for, <laughs> for a lot of things, and uh, I just can only thank God for that. Amazing. Yeah, you can, you can clap, you know, it's okay. Um, I have <coughs> a hockey bag at our house <laughs> that I keep as a remembrance. And it's a, it's a funny story and funny, not funny. <laughs> and how um, some of you know from my testimony before, when we were married <coughs> for one month, I packed my hockey bag and I left because I'm like, this was a mistake. <laughs> and then I had to put my feelings aside and trust God. But that hockey bag reminds me, if our feelings go against what God's, what, what's in God's word, then they can't be trusted. So it's a good one to stand on when everything feels a little wobbly. I have, I'm sorry I'm going to do this, but I have got to pick on you, Jerusha. And I, I know. I'm just saying I know. Do you mind? So this past week, I have, I can't even see without crying, but I have the opportunity to have surgery to reverse what has happened to my body. <coughs> And just going back to the whole thing, I was just like, man, this is crazy because I remember looking into the seven-year-old eyes of Aiden saying, Mom, you really need to find out what's going on because you're worth it. Like, I, guess I, I ignored it for so long. And so everything kind of happened in God's timing. So this week has been really good to look back and say, man, I waited forever for this diagnosis, but because it took so long, this next thing happened. And that took forever. But because it took so long, this next thing happened. So this whole thing has been completely in God's timing from the very beginning of when it happened to hopefully the future of it being gone. Wow. 
Paul and Jean, I, I, one of you, do you mind? I, I just feel like, I, I just felt to ask you. Um, oh, oh, well, dry. Uh, God has just been more than, I don't know, uh, to us. I think Paul sets beside me today because of prayers that people have prayed over us and things aren't perfect. But we do know that whatever the outcome will be in our lives, it will be better. And we just rest in that every day because we deal with illness every day. We deal with cancer now. Uh, Paul will have six weeks of radiation starting next week. But through it all, we just praise God for how good he has been to us. He has blessed us in every way. This is our family. So just as uh, we're finishing, why don't we be the church? Why don't we be the family of God together? And you're sitting here this morning, and these stories kind of conjure up like, yeah, my need or my remembering or these things. And you've got some challenges in your life. We're not going to ask you to come down here. But if that's you this morning, you say, you know what? I want to give my I want to give opportunity for my brothers and sisters around me just to come gather around me and just to pray for me, not knowing anything. But just to say, you know what? God's causing me to remember some things this morning. I want you to slip your hand up right now, quickly, because we're going to worship. There's a hand in the front. There's more than one, I know. Those who just shared, we can pray for them. We can gather around them. Is there anybody that says, you know what? I really would love just to remember God's faithfulness, and I need help in doing that. Would you gather around me? Sue Warrington, Andy, anybody else? We're going to, Betty at the back. Look at the, look around you. Take a look around. I can't even. the The light is not able. I saw a hand go up the back, but the light. Who is it? Oh, there you go. You're covered. Anybody else? Hand up. Like, you know what? Let's be the church together. Let's love on each other. Let's pray for one another. Let's stand if we're able. If you're if you want to sit and receive prayer, that's great. We're going to worship God together. Why don't we stand and let's worship. If you're not actively praying for somebody, let's worship Jesus. And let's bring to mind, help ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind those things. Let's just gather around those that have had their hands up. If there's somebody else and you want prayer, stick your hand up. We'd love to pray for you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, would you come now in Jesus' name. Let's worship Jesus together and I'll have Ben close.